filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. This doesn't have anything to do with my complaints last week, but I now have a uh, United Night Out scarf. Complaining works. No, no, complaining does not work. <laughs> this is not the lesson that we need to learn here. Uh, I followed hey, United. I followed United Night Out after I should have done it years ago, but I happened to be the thousandth follower, and Jim was like, "Hey, you're our thousandth follower." Do you want a scarf? And I was like, yes. And then he sent it to me. And it is a wonderful summer weight scarf uh, that says we are united on it and has the uh, DC United logo on the other side. And it is wonderful. And I just want to take this opportunity to thank Jim and to tell all of our listeners that you should also follow United Night Out and support everything that they are doing for uh the LGBT community and uh, for fans of DC United. Yeah, Jim's great. I think he's actually helping promote a fundraiser right now for a DC United fan who is transitioning and and helping her with with her transition. So go support that if you if yes. you can and you have have the means. Um, ben, I, I have to ask: Did you follow my lead and send Jim a picture of your very cute daughter modeling the scarf when you got yours? I have because not that is what yet. I did when I won the giveaway. I have not yet. That sounds like a very good idea. So I should do that, but I've not done it yet. All right. You have, you have a race against yourself to, to do that or get this podcast out first. I mean, I, I, I mean, I can, yeah, I control both of those things. It's, so. true. <laughs> you, it, it's not a fair race. It's but... not enforceable <laughs> in any kind of way. I am going to be watching closely to see which one happens first though. Uh, I, I have no idea what it means either way, but it's just going to entertain me uh, for, for no other reason. Okay. Hey, hey, welcome in. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United, and we like United Night Out podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we talk about DC United. And uh, that means we're talking about the end of the season this week because DC United lost in on decision day two to three at home to the Montreal impact ending their season. So uh, we'll talk about the game in the first segment. We'll, we'll take a step back and kind of look at the the season after the break uh, before we do anything though, Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? Uh, as I, as you asked me, I'm adjusting something on the, the site. Um, so last week I mentioned that I was drinking uh, Duclaw's Mad Bishop. Uh, and I mentioned its similarity to another Duclaw beer, Sweet Baby Jesus. And I also mentioned that the other six beers that I bought were, was a six-pack of Sweet Baby Jesus. And come come to find out, I haven't been to buy any more beer. So I had two more beers left. Uh, and now I've got one so, more because I opened this one. Uh, so you're Sweet still Baby just Jesus. drinking the same beer. 
Nope, you sweet were. baby Jesus. I have actual physical proof that I'm showing you, just like I showed you last week's can. This can does not have a mad bishop on it. It's different. I think our it's the same. Our listeners will never know because this is a visual display, and I am, I am hoping that they trust me over you guys. That's all I, I can got. confirm that Jason is holding a different physical can design. I cannot, however, confirm what is inside that can or the glass that he's now drinking out of because he's not drinking out of the can. <laughs> it's a it's a glass with Mr. Bow on it. Um, which right, which I'm sure you have 15 of because no, of your well-known love of Maryland. No, only one. Uh, my dad yeah. gave mm-hmm. it to me for Christmas a few years ago, and I... Uh, a likely mostly, story. Most of my other pint glasses are just like pint glasses I've come into rather than specifically hunting down. So I got one doing the Heavy Seas Brewery Tour. I got... Uh, my mom and her friends went to Toby's Dinner Theater in Columbia to see Sister Act, and so I have a Sister Act uh, pint glass. That um, is because she was like, "I don't drink beer. I'm never going to use this pint glass." Here you go. Um, so yeah, that's how I find pint. That glasses. sounds fake. <laughs> uh, next week I will show it to you guys, and then hopefully you will believe me, and m- maybe maybe you will, maybe you won't, or maybe we'll probably have the same beer in it. Maybe you'll accuse me of having made it in between shows. That's possible. Oh, you you are a well-known artisan. Right. Uh, known for my glass work, uh, yeah. predominantly. Yep, it's true. I, I think my drink is about as far from Sweet Baby Jesus as you can get. It is um, on show, Spanish. All right. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, probably. Because so you're drinking see. water, Ben. I'm going to steal your thunder. Uh, no, I'm drinking something other than water. Oh. I, I I went and got a. I mean, I'm drinking water too, but I also got a new drink that is very far from Sweet Baby Jesus. All right, well, we'll see who's further. I have um I have Ancho Spanish style cider. Um, this is their Cedar Blanc, uh, dry cider. They make it here in the district. Hashtag apples only. Uh, it's very good. We want them to stay in business, so we we ordered some cider, and nice. I'm drinking it. Good. How about you, Ben? So I went back to uh, a, a well I've been to recently uh, because, uh, like I've said, my wife ordered us uh, a bunch of Mountain Dew two liters. So I'm back to vodka and Mountain Dew, which I think is even further from uh, Sweet Baby Jesus than a craft artisan cider is. Yeah, I'm going to give you that one. Yeah, I, I see Ben's <laughs> argument here. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Once he once he got to craft artisan side, I'm like, yeah, my drink is good. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, mine if is pain, mine up, is painful, just like the season was. But you're drinking you it out of a classy stemless wine glass. Yeah. <laughs> so it like it it weirdly looks the coloration, at least in the light you're in, makes it look like you're drinking just like some random white wine. Yes. Uh, it, it it you could have told us a, a white wine. I just really, all right, yes, yes, like I'm, yes. Of course, I'm just drinking. I'm I'm drinking a um a vino verde. Yes, that's what I'm drinking. A Chateau de Dew. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a Sauvignon Blanc from Mountain Dew, the Dew Mountain. <laughs> all right, DC United needed a win and some help around the Eastern Conference to sneak into the playoffs on decision day, Sunday they afternoon. They got neither. They did get the help they needed. 
Yeah, that's the worst yeah, part. That, yeah, that did. They actually did get the help they needed, but they couldn't finish job one. They fell to the Montreal Impact 3-2 to two on buzzard point after holding a lead at halftime, uh, ending their 2020 campaign. Um, I think you got to just go go to the kickoff on this one. And it, it was another makeshift lineup from, from Chad Ashton, who, as far as healthy players, he felt comfortable starting. He had two center backs and one fullback available that he felt comfortable starting. Um, Joseph Mora dealing with an injury on the bench, but not able to start. Uh, O'Neill Fisher there. Uh, but he ended up going with a three-five-two with uh, Russell Knaus joining the center backs on the back line, and uh, we'll, we'll get to the wing backs in a minute. But wanted to to talk about that the back because there were some there were some stumbles there in the back during this game. Yeah, um, there were there were some big defensive issues, especially um, on the right side, um, to such an extent that they ended the first half kind of pulling Eric Sorga off the front line, um, having him play a sort of like, sort of occupying the half space. So he's a little underneath and a little further to the right so that he's closer to um, the right flank so that he can help Julian Gressel out so that Julian Gressel can stay deeper so that he can help Russell Knaus out because that whole side was just not working. Um, defensively, it wasn't working. Going forward, I think it was fine. Defensively, though, it was, it was an issue uh, for sure. Um, and Montreal also was going out of their way to target that specific um, situation. And it does, it it makes me wonder if Fisher didn't also have some sort of knock that the team didn't want to reveal. Um, only because if you have this group of players available and Mora's out, you know, you can play a Canals, Briant, Pines, Fisher back four. Like Fisher's played left back enough times where it's not a thing you would it it's certainly more familiar to him than playing Canals as as part of a back three um so if that if he was fit and that option wasn't taken that's very confusing um to such an extent that my first thought is that he had to have some sort of knock um because this became a problem it, and it's the kind of thing that might have been apparent right from the lineups coming out because Montreal went with 4-3-3 instead of the lineups they've been playing lately, which have been with only two forwards. Um, so they went to their – this was Montreal's were trailing. You know, I, I wrote the, about this in the preview that when they're behind, they tend to want to put in an extra forward and go 4-3-3. Um, and Montreal showed up and said, let's go 4-3-3 from the kickoff. And when you pair that with DC's lineup being one with uh, a back three and – attacking wide players as wingbacks uh you end up with a game that turned out i mean what was it uh almost 40 combined shots 39 i think it is 39 total shots in the game um yeah uh and it you know dc had plenty of chances but defensively they gave up a ton in this game and the expected goals once again were over three um two weeks in a row of that and i think also uh part of it is i mean it's a number of things, but it's this, this team wasn't set up, wasn't built to play a three, five, two, and they've only had to play it in emergencies. And it, it shows that they weren't built to play this uh, formation. And it shows that 
they didn't they didn't enter this season with a lot of options, a lot of depth, a lot of uh, ability to do different things. So it's not only just that the fact that they had no depth going into the season, that's something we've harped on time and time and time again, but it remains true. Uh, but it's also the fact that the players that they did have weren't really situated to play this formation. It's just that they were forced by injuries into trying to fit something that fits their, uh, the players they have left available. But the three, five, two was never something that fit these players. It's just something they were forced into and it never seemed to work. Yeah. They, you know, they tried it at one point when Ben Olsen was still around and then reverted back out out of it. It was, it was, it worked to, to change things up and kind of, break the the small funk they were in obviously the bigger funk they never they didn't get out of at that point but this really was just we got to throw some people together uh to put a lineup on the field is is the way the lineup felt um i think it comes back to and we'll get into this in the second segment but the shortage of depth at certain spots um uh after the and, and one other reason i think of i think fisher might have had a knock is that after the game, Chad Ashton, I, I don't have the verbatim quote in front of me, but he said, um, we went into this game with zero recognized fullbacks available. Um, I'm paraphrasing, but recognized fullbacks, I believe, is is a um, exactly his word choice. So um, that means Mora was available, but I, I, I didn't even see him warm up very many times at all. So I don't I think he was in quotes available. Um Fisher did warm up, but it never looked like the team was seriously thinking about bringing him in. Um, Kevin Paredes was not in uniform. He was in the stands. Um, so he had some sort of knock that the team did not want to reveal. I did try to ask about this, but was given in no uncertain terms a uh, no uh, when asking about um, the status of some of these guys. So the team did not want Montreal knowing that the situation was what it was, but um and it that kind of informed the lineup being so heavy on attacking players and risk taking is that um at a certain point if you don't have the defenders to do defending you have to say like well we got a bunch of attacking guys we might as well try and win this game by scoring a bunch of goals and seeing if it works well and that's and- how you end up with Edison Flores at left wing back like you yes. said attacking wide players in in nominally defensive or at least two way positions um i don't think edison flores is going to be a wing back long term no Uh, that's no i don't i don't know that he's going to be a 10 for for dc united long term just he might be he might grow into that once he as he figures out the league more but he's shown well as an outside attacker but i'm gonna say no thank you to to future experiments at wing back and again i don't think this was an actual experiment i think this was we need to fit people on the field and this is how we can do that in a way that resembles a structure. You know what this resembled what? was the, the Tom Sohn era. Yes. Um, three, With two, Fred three, and Chris two. Pontius um, at, at wingback. Yeah. Where there was this, they, they won the shield in a season where they had Santino Coranta and Fred, uh, a forward and a 10 playing as wingbacks. Um, but generally speaking, that doesn't work unless you are just absolutely able to dominate possession and score a bunch of goals every single week. Um, and DC, you know, had some chances, but this was against Montreal, a team that has bled goals all season long. 
and they did control possession as well. But again, not to the extent where you would say, wow, DC really bossed this game. I'm surprised they lost 3-2. Instead, you're like, wow, they gave up a lot of chances. Um, if anything, I'm a little surprised that this game only was 3-2. So we did get to see one of the young guys in the starting lineup. Moses Nyman was in the midfield trio for this one, along with Junior Moreno and Yamil Assad, who, who was playing at the 10. Um, as Jason said, the possession was good. DC United won the possession battle by by seven points. Not that that matters at the end of the day, but uh, it is a data point. 82% passing accuracy is pretty good. They were 77% in the final third on over 100 passing attempts uh, in the final third. It was a back and forth game. I think there are yeah. usually the majority of passes in any soccer game are going to be in the middle third. Um, and I don't know that that was the case in this game because the, the the midfield almost wasn't there. It was just run up and down the field. It was a game of indoor soccer. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, both, both teams were, were wide open. I think both teams saw, looked at the other team and said, or I think DC was like, our option is win this game by going all out attacking and trying to score as many goals as we can. I think Montreal looked at DC and said, I think we can open up in this game and we'll get as many or more chances as they will, um, which is a departure. Um, in watching Montreal recently to prep for the game, the recurring theme is that Montreal would rather be a little more mid-block or low-block and play on the counter, uh, in part to hide a defense on their end, like I said, that hasn't been good this year. Um, But in this game, I think they came out – maybe not – I shouldn't say they came out because they actually started pretty badly and D.C. took the lead and probably could have had more – the fact that the first 15 minutes ended 1-1 is kind of uh, not a reflection of how those 15 minutes went. Um, no. But from that point, um, Montreal started to figure out where the spaces were going to be, and they started to create a lot of uh, danger uh, as the half wore on. So, um, yeah, it was it was not the game that I think these teams have a reputation for playing, but... Um, once both teams, once two time, you know, two teams meet each other in an all or nothing game, and they both decide, let's go for it. Um, things get wacky, and this one, this one was bizarre from literally the first minute. We had an unfortunate collision, four minutes of stoppage. Helman Rivas had to come off. Um, mm. Coaching change, you know, co- both teams are doing coaching as a base uh, based on that. Um, things are being switched uh, left and right. It was a weird, a weird game. I mean, it's a knockout game, so it, it had that open cup kind of feel. I guess that's what I'm going for here. Is yeah, that, that, um, that tracks. There's that little bit of weirdness that comes when that when losing could knock you out. Um, and and I will, you know, I'll give credit to Montreal that they showed up with the attitude to try and win the game. Um, they were not there saying like, well, a draw is fine. Um, which it probably would have been. I haven't actually compared the standings for them. I never really thought of their uh, their needs on the day because I was so focused on DCs. Yeah, yeah, a draw would have gotten Montreal into the playoffs, it turned out. Um, but they played the game to win as well as DC. I mean, DC, of course, did. They, they had no options, but um, it was kind of fun. It's not the game that these teams really have the rep for putting out, but maybe over these last few games for DC and maybe Thierry Henry showed that in the playoffs, maybe we'll see some more uh, of the impact saying, you know, maybe not against every team against the union. They're probably not going to go wide open, but 
it would be fun if they want to go out and be like, screw it, let's try and score like four goals today. See if the other team can score five. I mean, if Thierry Henry wants his team to say, screw it, let's be heroes, then that that could be fun. Um, I think Montreal, to your point, they would have needed the same help DC United needed to get in if they had gotten a draw on this. So with the way the results went, they would have gotten in. But if Chicago had won or Atlanta had won, it would have would have changed things for them. Um, so you mentioned some of the weirdness and your analogy to the open cup, I think is especially apt because we even saw some of the off the ball after the whistle violence in this one that, uh, mm. Katamak Blanco made such a, a part of us open cup history at the Plex, uh, 12 ish years ago now. Oh yeah. And, and like, not is it only 12? Old. It's gotta yeah, be more that than that. Late. Really? Yeah. And not just Blanco, but like, you know, Carlos Valdez uh, having a fist fight uh, with Brandon McDonald uh, when the Union and DC used to just have a fight every single time they played each other. Exactly. There was an era there where an open cup game at the Plex meant you were also at a boxing match. So in this one, uh, DC United took the lead in the 33rd minute through Ola Kamara and Yamil Asad is jogging over to celebrate and Ramel Kyoto just runs up behind him, two hand shoves him in the, in the back to the ground. Should have been a red card. Seemingly unprovoked. Um, got a yellow for it, but like it was, it was definitely an attack on a person. It was definitely right. an like, act of violence. Not up, not in, within the game of soccer. It. I don't know how that is only a yellow card. I know some yeah. people were like saying, you know, it's like he didn't throw a punch. It's like yeah, but he. Put- pushed a guy to the ground from behind with no warning and no reason like if a kid does that in a soccer game you're taking him out like if your kid does that on the playground you're taking him out why are we letting grown men do this it's not okay it's not a part of the game i mean it wasn't going to hurt assad and i think that's the people that's the big argument for why it, it doesn't matter i think that's that a, doesn't it's matter. a bad argument it's a it bad argument matter. but i'm acknowledging it I'm you don't have to acknowledge training, it. That's it, what I do. I don't, I don't, I'm not a lawyer. And so I, I just, dismiss, you to that I just, argument I just, there, right there. I just dismiss it. I just dismiss it. <laughs> it. It was, it's a bad argument because as we know, as we know, time and time again, in, uh, at least in theory, in soccer refereeing, it's intent that matters, not necessarily an act of violence. And the intent was to take somebody from behind and push him over. And, it it doesn't matter how violent or not violent it was. You were at, he, he was attacking someone who was unable to defend themselves, and that's a red card offense. That it it, it doesn't matter if he uh, wasn't pushed very hard, or it, it or if he uh, uh, if it didn't hurt him very much. It just the the action of attacking someone who was that defenseless. In in of itself is a red card offense, and he should have I mean, been sent placing. off right then. Uh, and yeah, just placing your hands on somebody else is a red card offense. And yeah. Well, on their face, but it, like if you happen to touch someone below the neck, whatever, hands to the face though is if it's intentional, it's a red card offense. So it's weird that a full two handed shove is not. And the reason this comes up is because Romel Kyoto did his best Andre Hano impression to go back to 2012. Um, and he scored a goal uh, and got an assist in this one. Um, and and if he's not on the field, pretty good chance, right. you know, he's definitely not scoring that. And you watch the highlights, and the name that gets right. said more than any other is Kyoto. But he's been um, their best player all year. 
Yeah, um, and he was the he was got, their best player on the night. That got him those the goal and the assist he had uh in the second half got him to eight goals, six assists in twenty three games this year, which is pretty excellent form. Um so yeah, it was a it was a big it's a big call and there's a reason why this red card offense in the laws of the game is referred to as violent conduct and not um throwing a punch or anything yeah exactly or or even Um, or even just violence it's violent conduct not right violence so so i i think the issue that takes it over the line for me is the fact that it's on someone who's unprepared you know yamil Assad is facing away from him um I, I think that there's no replay that actually shows it very well, but you can kind of tell that Assad is picking up the ball after the goal. Oh, and... actually, if you watch instant replay, they they covered oh, they this. They one... disagree with us. Weeby and Davies disagreed with us. They thought a yellow was fine here, but they have a good replay of it. I, yeah, and they're flat out wrong. A um, yellow's not fine here. <laughs> yeah, um, and the issue isn't like, like you guys said, this isn't a hard shove, um, but if you shove someone from behind while they're not prepared, you can hurt them. Um, this isn't the light, like get out of my face shove where the person knows it's coming and they don't, you know, they're bracing for it. So they don't fall over the way that, that Assad ended up falling over. This is a shove on someone who has no idea that they're about to be shoved at all. Um, and it's also just needless. And you know, what's the kicker here is that as I'm looking at the, um, the match center, uh, Opta still has Kyoto's yellow card down as argument. Um, <laughs> which is not what happened uh, at all. But yeah, it's frustrating. Um, It's not the first time in the last few weeks that DC has gotten the wrong side of a pretty important call. Um, And kind of an almost an impenetrable, weird decision. Like this one's obviously a red card. Frederick Briant being waved on and the referee saying, oh, I got that wrong. You get a yellow card um, is a weird Thing to deal with as well and the the combination of those two things you can i mean the rest of dc united's season is the real reason they're not yeah, yeah, yeah. in the playoffs but yes. when you come down to you know the most proximate cause sure. these two things definitely contributed um and, and you know unfortunately because the referee saw the play um from up close uh, any VAR check, he was going to be like, no, I saw this. I don't need to look at the monitor. I saw what happened. Um, so he very clearly made his decision on the spot. There was never going to be uh, a call from the booth saying, hey, uh, you missed this one because he he didn't miss it. He was right there. He just did a bad job. Um, but, uh, you know, both teams ended up quite upset with Rubio Vasquez at times in this game. Um, there were penalty shouts. I think uh, Montreal had a couple that were kind of dicey and uh it also took var for uh vasquez to uh get the red card he did give out correct even though that one was like even more doing, obvious guys? yeah like how do you i mean doing if that's not sam piet just puts the his studs through paul areola's knee his uh, surgically actually, repaired knee it looked like it might have been above the knee yeah like it might have been a thigh level tackle um Which, yeah I mean, it was what it was well, the same. It was the same kind of play that um, when Lucho last year, the year before, he got a boot to the face, mm-hmm. um, and it was the same kind of thing where the the players watching the ball, and I mean, to this is the most charitable uh, framing. Don't be the, don't the be charitable, watching, Adam. 
dude, let me let me do my thing, okay? You know I set this up so that I can knock it down. That is how I operate rhetorically. And you keep stepping on it. Watching the ball, and then he lifts his leg up to try to play the ball, misses it, and gets the player. There was no turning in this one. Piet just saw what was happening and just lost his damn mind for a minute. And then as soon as it happened, he's like, crap, I really shouldn't have done that. <laughs> it looked like by the end of it, he and Ariola were cool with each other, but it was, it was an obvious red card. And even the Montreal broadcasters said, yeah, that's, that's not going to yeah. stay yellow. You, you can't make that tackle. It's crazy. Um, yeah. That's one was, of those where no one Hopefully Ariola's that. fine. Yeah. Yeah. That'd have been then, real bad. And there was another tackle where uh, I can't remember either player on, on either side. So I apologize, but there was a scissor kick where, uh, they, I think they got uh, the Montreal player got Emil Lasad like in his uh, in his like hip in his hip and like yeah. scissor, it, it scissor tackled him to the ground. It was like, I mean that's that's like a David Beckham esque like not not getting a scissor tackle call. It's I mean like, in his defense, a lot you're probably of... not going to break a guy's leg by tackling his hip. You might break his hip. <laughs> that's true. Emil Lasad's not old enough for that yet, though. Uh, right. I do want to. One this of kind us. Of brings up, this kind of brings up. Yeah, a yeah, we're point. old. Um, other than our age, um, but as much as these are things that were bad for DC and are bad for soccer, that the referee was just kind of like, ah, oh, you know, <laughs> I don't see the problem here, guys. Um, but there was something that kind of struck me during the game, and it wasn't just me. I did mention this to some other people in the press box, and they were like, yeah, I've seen that too. Um, and there was a certain edge to Montreal, a certain willingness to physically give everything that was not 100% there on DC's side. And I think it specifically showed up. If you if you go back and rewatch this game, watch the number of times – it's Victor Wanyama and somebody else going in on a 50-50 and watch how many times people don't from DC do not go into that 50-50 at the same, uh, the same all or nothing fearlessness of Wanyama. And I'm not saying Wanyama was committing fouls. He was going for the ball just like everyone else, but he was going all in and he's a big, powerful guy. And I think a lot of people are like, ah, I don't know about this one. Um, go ahead. Ben. Yeah. I, I think like it's it, it it's nice to complain sometimes and it's nice to 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 vent some energy, but DC United still didn't deserve to win this game. Well, like when when I'm complaining about uh, these yeah. calls that happened, DC United still didn't deserve to win this game on the balance. So yeah, let, 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 right, let let let's be upfront about that uh, and, and just make sure that everyone knows that at least I am saying that yeah. Uh, they gave up too many chances. The The game, they did not play a good game and they did not deserve to win this game. They did not deserve to make it to the playoffs this year because of their balance of play throughout the entire season. So, uh, yes, I, I 100% agree with you that uh, while these are little little symptoms and little, little annoyances that make us mad uh, on the balance of the day, they didn't deserve yeah. to win this game. If you, I think you if you if you give up over three expected goals and you aren't putting up like six of your own, you you didn't deserve to win. Right. Um, yeah. And so this was a game where 
DC only actually had, despite having 18 shots, only put up uh, 1.36 expected goals. I think this is the from the I haven't seen any other charts other than the one that um, Ben Bayer has been tweeting out, uh, which has been very helpful. Uh, which I think he's using Opta. Uh, yes, he is using mm-hmm. Opta. Um, so yeah, this is like I mentioned before, two weeks in a row where DC gave up over three expected goals. And yeah, most of the time you don't give up seven goals when your expected goals in two games is like six point something. Um, but at the same time, any feelings of like, oh, well, that's just a little bit of a little bit of bad luck for DC. It's like, well, DC was up two nothing in New England and they were up two one at home against Montreal and they got zero points out of those games. And that not only is that kind of the story of the end of the season here, uh, where they were good in some ways, but not good enough to actually get the job done. Um, I, I, I'm hesitant to even say it, but this is also a reason why Ben Olsen would choose to be more pragmatic on a regular basis is because this is the kind of thing that could have happened. And it did happen in these last two games. Um, I think fans are actually kind of okay with that for the time being. But I think if you had a whole season of this happening over and over again, you would be losing your mind. Um, uh, hypothetical DC United fan. I think these last two games, as aggravating as they were uh, because DC had leads and then gave them away and they gave up too many goals and too many scoring chances and were lucky that it was even they, – they're lucky that they only gave up seven goals in the two games. Um, all of those are reasons why that would compel a coach to say, let's maybe be a little more uh, risk averse. Um, and I'm not saying that that's good um, because what you want to be is good enough to go forward without giving away a billion chances at the other end. That's kind of the whole idea of trying to have yeah, fun. DC and and never figured out the balance over the course yes. of, of this has year. Been the case for a while now, not just this year, but like for several yeah. years now it's been, Either the team is very good going forward and is kind of like, ah, you know, if we give up some goals, oh, well, or more often, let's make sure the other team doesn't score. And if we get one, great. Um, And no one likes that last section. uh, But I feel like when I see the teams around the league and I remember DC United teams of your like a like a Tom Sohn team or a Thomas Rongan team, especially um, or or even Ray Hudson's first year. when I think about those those teams in that case where they're like, let's just see if we can score more t- than the other team all the time and, and maybe it'll work and you're just not that good at doing that, uh, what happens is you lose 3-2 a lot and it's not a lot of fun either. It's maybe more eventful and less predictable, uh, but it's also maybe going to make you crazier over time. So what you're saying is DC United in the offseason should interview Birmingham, Birmingham Legion head coach Tom Sohn. <laughs> I feel like that would uh, cause more than a little consternation amongst uh, DC United fans from that. Remember that era in in particular. It's a thousand Do years ago. Don't don't m- most most DC United fans don't remember it. We literally referenced 2008 on this show already today. Are we most um, DC United fans? Yes and no, <laughs> but not completely no. Um, I think some of the intensity Jason was talking about, we saw on Montreal's last goal when Kyoto scored, scored the game winner. 
Um, they get the ball down the left and Kyoto just runs in this huge channel between Frederick Briant and Donovan Pines, who are both just kind of running straight back at the goal, almost like it's a defensive drill and not actually running at Kyoto or trying to get close to him, just trying to, I'm not exactly sure what they were doing. Well, and, and we heard Bill we... Hamid anger and yes. dismay after it well, happened because no one got close to Kyoto. He just had a free finishing drill. Well, we have to talk about this sequence and we have to wind it back just a, a, about 45 seconds before this because this sequence, I hate to go back to the referee, uh, but this was a sequence that saw a second ball end up on the field near the ball that everyone had agreed was the ball for the game. Um, Montreal straight up was like, are we going to stop and deal with this ball on the field? And Rubio Vasquez looked at everything and was like, no, no, we're not. And so Yamil Asad actually came in, stole the ball, uh, the, the real ball, not the ball that was uh, causing the consternation. DC came upfield, got into an attacking position. Uh, Edison Flores got absolutely taken out at the top of the box in what was an obvious foul. Rubiel Vasquez looked at that and was like, I don't see, the, I don't see what the problem is here. This seems fine. Um, and from that non-call, Montreal counters and scores the goal. Um, so some, I think, uh, you know, Pines and Briant had some defensive moments that were not very good in this game. I think that's fair. Uh, Montreal's first goal comes from uh, one of my long-standing pet peeves. It's an attacking throw-in for Montreal, and DC just turns off. And part of that is um, Pines lets Kyoto back him up when Pines should clearly win that battle for strength. Yeah, um, but I think he was hesitant because he thought he was going to overcommit and give away a penalty kick. I think he was worried about that aspect. Um, but Kyoto played a bot. I'm, I'm now talking about two different goals, but on that first one, <laughs> Kyoto plays a blind pass across the goal mouth. Like he did not look to see. He was just like, I got no options. I'm just going to flick it in that direction and hope it works. And no one tracked Boyan at all. He just sort of sprinted in alone and had a tap in. Um, and Bill Hamid was unhappy about that because that should not happen. He should at least have to, like, if you see the guy having to dive to get to the ball before someone else dives in to make a defensive play, then you say, okay, at least someone was trying. Someone read this situation and just couldn't get there in time. Right, no but this was, was a tap-in. No one was close to Boyan to stop him on the first goal. And then on this third goal, I think maybe the chaos of what had happened at both ends with the referee just deciding to take uh, take a, a siesta during the game and just be like, I'm guys, I'm, I'm off for the next, like, you know, 60 seconds or so. I'm just, I'm off. It's like when you're a parent, you're like, I have to go downstairs. Don't kill each other till I get back. And you know, something's going to happen. Right. Like I need to go to the bathroom real quick. Um, and you go in there and by the time you come back out there, you know, the house is on fire. Um, yeah, I, I, so I think that's part of what happened with Briant and Pines tracking back on Kyoto is just that, um, things got chaotic further up field. Um, Montreal, to their credit, did execute very well on the on the buildup to create the uh, the pass in um, for um, for Kyoto. The the um, the cross from um, Mustafa Kiza is actually Kiza and Mason Toy, who both subbed in, um, who did really well to engineer that. But at the same time, I, I it's not just DC's defenders there; it's the whole right. The midfield needs to be involved. So stretched out. And I think part of the reason they got so stretched out is that they got into this attacking posture. They saw a player get fouled 
and there's that half second of like you're calling that right because it's such an obvious call to make and they had so many guys pushed forward because they're trying to get the third goal themselves that when Montreal broke forward there's you know there's just no one between them and goal and they you know walked right through um yeah so yeah it it was an aggravating goal. To, I mean, obviously, if they don't score that and the game finishes 2-2, DC's out anyway. Um, but, yeah, uh, this was a game of transition. This was a wide-open game in that way, and ultimately Montreal was better at transition soccer than DC. Uh, and not just in the second half, but I would say over the last hour of the game. Yeah, I mean, let's transition to a few good things. and. Uh from this game and one of them I'm going to frame as a good thing and not as a failure to score an open play but DC United's both of their goals were from uh, corner kicks so DC United actually won the set piece battle in this one with their two set piece goals uh, Donovan Pines and Ola Kamara scoring um, yay being on the right side of that even if it didn't totally matter it's, um, it's nice to have better options on delivering these because we had Gressel on the first one and then Flores on the second one. Um, so it's not just, Hey, we've got one guy that can take all our set pieces, which was the, one of the Rooney era situations was that if Rooney wasn't in the game, DC set pieces basically were kind of useless. Um, now you've got two different, at least two different options. And this is also now two or three assists in two games for Flores to finish the season. So that's nice. And on the attacking, uh, on the, the the goal scoring, and it's nice to see somebody else besides uh, Stephen Birnbaum uh, from the back line be able to start nodding these goals in. Uh, it's nice to see Donovan Pines really upping his offensive game uh, and, and and scoring some goals because he's giant, he's athletic, he's he should right. be this a one, good goal scorer and he's starting to uh, uh, put that proof in the pudding. Right. And this one, we've, we've seen him get free on, on cleverly designed picks before we've seen him just run at the near post and, and get there first. This one, they actually had him set up at the back post and kind of almost up at the 18. Yeah. And then he had one guy on him because he's so far from goal. You're not going to move everyone out there. So it was kind of clever and just having him start there. He bumps the guy backs up and just gets a free run. Um, yep. Not even a run. He just kind of lopes in and jumps up completely on. Yeah, it was exactly. kind of hilarious to watch. And he's just so it's... much bigger and jumps so much higher than everyone. Um, and I want to give him props too, not just for, for his increased goal scoring, but he's, he's upping his celebration game a little bit too. I think it was a, it was a fun little um, yeah. pose for a photo after after this one um coolest guy on the field so yeah. uh more of that i like goal celebrations so this more is, goals and more sellies this is uh three goals in six games for donovan yeah. pines um if he finished the season having scored three in dc's last six games um and it was actually enough uh to get him into uh tied for second on the team lead uh, for the team <laughs> lead for goals um I actually was asked. Uh, I, I'm not. You going just to made out, it sad. I'm not going to out the reporter who asked me this, but I was asked, "Hey, does that make him tied for the team lead?" And I was like, "No, no, no. Uh, Kamara has uh, Kamara has the team lead, but Pines is second with four. They like, they were like, "Hold on a second. When was the last? When when did Pines score his first goal? It's like only a few weeks ago, man. Um, but yeah, uh, it's very yeah. Good. The offense has been bad. Yeah, the offense. But has Donovan been bad Pines is good. That um, we almost, if he had scored again, we would have had a situation to harken back to, um, 
the to bring up the Hudson era again, there was a year where Ryan Nelson finished tied for the team lead in goal scoring, uh, which was a real bummer of a year. So uh, yeah. that's bad. But also, I'm just happy own goal wasn't at the top of the charts this year. Yeah, uh, that's that's it's a start. That's, that's uh, also happened. But yeah, uh, getting finding a way to get um, the whatever elite set piece targets DC has at a given time. Um, there have been times where they're really good at getting those guys open. Um, and there have been times where the only way they've been able to get them open is that sort of back post delivery where they head the ball back across. Um, and then usually the execution on what happens after that has not been very good. Um, and to think about next year with a, uh, with Steven Birnbaum back in the lineup, uh, you have to assume that one of the things that'll shake out in this offseason will probably be Pines most likely being favored to start over Briant um, next season. If you've got Pines and Birnbaum together, um, you've, you're offering a major problem for other teams. And if DC can be better at, I mean, whoever the new coach is should really be looking to leverage that because there's, there's no reason to leave those goals on the table because Pines is virtually unmarkable by MLS defenders. He is taller right. and faster than everybody. Um, that's a, what if we made him a forward? Oh, uh, no, Ben. Probably we would need a time I'm machine. Ga- I'm galaxy forward. braining here. We don't need to do that. We can just have him up on set pieces. That's all we need. Um, and then we can, make can keep him drilling. The, these minutes are going to be really crucial for him um, because he is still a little bit raw at the defensive end. Um, all the all the talent and you know physical prowess in the world, but still a few moments like. Uh, the the first goal for Montreal where he's just got to figure out how to do a little now, bit better. I don't want to make it sound like that first goal is only his fault because no. the entire right. team shut off. He was the only person engaged in defending at all. Right. Um, except for, except for Bill Hamid, who was doing his best. It's just, what do you do when <sighs> the, the situation you're left with is the ball gets passed out of your reach. And then also there is a wide open man at the back post to tap it in. You cannot do anything in this scenario. Right. Yeah, and we saw Frederick Briant get sucked in to to where he was just useful to nobody yes. on that play as well. Um, yeah, it definitely wasn't throw. just just Pines. Um, I said oh, we were going to end the segment <laughs> from this game. So yes. we haven't explicitly acknowledged this, but absolutely the best news from the game is Paul Ariola's return. Uh, yes. He came back onto the field very nicely in the 69th minute. Um Nice, and he got he got to play, and that's that's huge. And he also survived a leg breaking tackle in the process. So uh, we're talking about nice he, things. He said he wanted to thank Sam Piet for this one for that because it hurt like hell. But now he knows yeah. that he can get through it. Those tackles aren't going to break him now, uh, and he knows that. So he can he doesn't have to play with any fear anymore. Which is you hear a lot players who come back from ACL or any knee injury really. Um, they, they, even when they know intellectually, when the moment comes, they, they don't always have that, the ability to just give it everything and put all the pressure on that, that joint. But now he knows that his knee can survive it. Um, he worked hard and got back and it's awesome. He, and he was like, he wasn't just out there. Um, no, he almost won it. <laughs> he provided a genuine spark for DC, um, not just an emotional spark, but actually a tangible soccer. Uh, you know that he changed the 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 dynamic of the game 
by just bringing so much urgency. Um, you know, he almost his first action with the ball was a shot that nearly that if it doesn't get blocked, probably uh, is a goal. Um, he almost won it again with a different shot. Um, you know, he was just in the middle. I mean, it was we're used to this with Paul Ariola. We're used to seeing him in the middle of everything. Um, he's just always involved. He's always getting around the ball, getting into tackles, all this stuff. And that's what he brought to the table here. And he sped the the play up. I mean, the game maybe was already going at a pretty high clip as it was, but he was ready for that aspect. Um, Cause this is the thing, like he has not played since February. Um, and then subbing into a game that is being played at like 80 miles an hour. That is a tough task. We see this with players that are fully fit being like, Oh, I couldn't catch up to the pace of the game. Uh, and he was ready to go. Uh, it, I, I think on some level, maybe the fact that the game was so out of control actually was kind of helpful to him because when you've got that much emotion, and I'm I'm sure I'm projecting here, I, I don't know his actual thoughts. Um, I cannot read anyone's mind, much less his mind. But if you're coming into a game and you've got all these emotions about finally getting back into it, um, it is tempting to fly around and maybe try and do too much um to let that kind of get the better of you but coming into this game where everyone is flying around um at full speed then you know you fit right in so uh i you know all you can do is give him a big uh, congratulations for getting back because it's uh it's pretty incredible um this is what we're we're talking just under 9 months from the day of his injury to him getting back on the field and he could have like months ago could have been like all right, this doesn't really make sense for me to push this hard for this long to get back in this season, which is a lost season at this point. Um, the the season, the script of this season allowed him many options to be like, ah, I'll wait till next year. Um, I'll do my rehab at a normal rate and that'll be fine. Um, but he's not wired that way. Uh, and, you know, he got his reward getting into the game. It's not the result he wanted, uh, but... I'm sure there's a certain level of like, you know, having this mission in your head for so long. He even said after the game that um, having spent so much time thinking about this and so much time rehabbing and, you know, in the weight room and, and building strength and all this other stuff that it might be good to have a couple weeks where it's just, you know, he's kind of on his own just to get his, his mind back into like a normal state of things because everyone's 2020 has been strange. But his 2020, for for compared to the rest of his soccer playing career, has been even more strange because it's been all about if I pour myself into this stuff that isn't playing soccer, I might get to play a little tiny bit of soccer at the very end. Um, and it's nice that it paid off. And it wasn't just, oh, he's in uniform, but it's not, he's not really going to play or maybe he can play 10 minutes. It was like with the season on the line, we're going to send him out there and he's actually going to look like he belongs. So that's pretty cool. I think it, uh, and we may get into this more in the next segment and into segments throughout the rest of the off season. But I think it, uh, uh, it also positions Areola in a couple of different ways uh, for for the next season and and for the future of the team. I think you have to. I f- I feel like you have to think of Areola as a possible captain going into this team for next year. I think. Uh, he can deserve that and he can he he can own the leadership of this team going into next year and i also think that 
you also have to think about building the team around his energy, not necessarily like his play, but the energy that he brings and what he does for the team is something that you can build an entire team around. And you've got to think about these sorts of things when you're building a team and think about how the different players interlock and, and build towards a cohesive whole and not just try and uh, pick pieces here and there uh, that you think might work well. You've got to build a cohesive whole. And I think Paul Areola is one of those pieces that you have to have at your bedrock as you're going forward, as you're looking uh, into this off season about building something uh, uh, fully cohesive to try and make something better coming into 2021. Right. Paul Ariola's aggression and his ability to pull off what he's trying to do in the attack, as far as his runs off the ball and, and on the ball as well, it's force multiplier. Like if he's your best player, absolutely bar none, your best player, you, you probably have some work to do as, sure. as, as the roster, but it, he can be the third, fourth, even second best guy on your team. And just the way he plays can unlock some things. Like we saw it with, with the Lucha Rue era. They were much better when Paul Ariola was out there too, because he provided the directness that neither of them was really looking to to provide themselves. And you have to have that because if you're just passing it around, you're not necessarily going to unlock anyone without movement off the ball and direct attacking movement at the goal um, for that matter. And Ariola provides that. And he's also added some guile to his game and he he's obviously watching the games and learning um, as well. So he, he provides some tactical news that, as well. I agree. I, I think Ariola should probably be an inning starter. And that's, it's nice to say that about your DP, but it, it's also true in this case. Uh, it's not true for every DP that they should be an every week inning starter, but for Paul Ariola, it, it definitely is. Um, and I will be excited to see him week in and week out in 2021. We went much longer than I planned on this segment. So we're going to call it there and we will be back to talk more generally about this very long and weird 2020 season. Stick around. It's filibuster. All right. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to, uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a, a non-compete clause or, or something to, to that effect. If you, uh, if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government, call the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, if you want a free consultation, tell them we sent you. Go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome 
Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United's 2020 is over. Um, I'm sure we'll start our usual off-season traditions, cake or death and the like, in the coming weeks. But for now, we're going to uh, we're gonna zoom out. We're just going to ditch the structure and, and kind of talk about the season that was here. Um, I, I think the the obvious starting point is is the pandemic that defined the, the year and the the season. Um, DC United going two two whole games into the season. Everyone in MLS going two whole games into the season before a a major lockdown and uh, everyone's mental health and too many people's physical health went to hell and um, a lot of stress about whether they should even be playing soccer even to this day whether it's yeah, a good my, idea. Yeah, Adam, my mental health is still pretty bad right now. Yeah, I didn't in, I never in, said in we got this days. I just said we went <laughs> to hell. I never said we left. Uh it, it's a that that that's the obvious place to start, I think. Yeah, it hasn't been a lot of fun um dealing with uh, the will there won't they? The is this safe at all? Um I I think the way things have gone, there have been several times where it probably wasn't safe. Um, yep. There were DC played games uh, while someone on the roster had been, had tested positive and had played and they just carried on. They had opponents in the same boat uh, at least one time. Um, just, I, I mean, it, it didn't happen with that with, they didn't have to play this team, but like the Colorado Rapids just had yeah. so many things happen. Right. And then and then even when Colorado was safe from a COVID perspective, they were like, all right, I guess we have to go play a game with like one day of training in two weeks. Right. Um, so th- if not unsafe, certainly unfair. Um, I give them a lot of credit for doing as well as they did. But like that's not you shouldn't put them in that situation. Um, MLS's back appeared to be an absolute meat grinder designed to uh, destroy joints and minds uh, in equal supply. But um, it was still better than it seemed like a better option than uh once they got into the bubble, getting into yeah. the bubble was not easy. We right. had two teams fail to to get into the bubble at all, and then and uh, so Toronto FC like barely got in. Right, and maybe should have been included in the group that didn't get in. Um so yeah, it was kind of I mean, I don't know what to say that the league should have done to get over some of this stuff because some of it once you got in motion is completely ad hoc and is completely like these things are changing by the hour and like teams are like like the Toronto FC situation teams are in the air flying to Orlando and deciding to turn back um like that that late of a decision so um i i don't know how much there is to take from this year overall i mean i think there are some broad things we can take like dc was not a well put together team. Uh, they had problems. Yep. Um, yep. I have said this on the show, and I'm going to keep saying it. I think I think they're not actually far from being quite good, um, but they are missing some key components that would uh, make all of these nice pieces that I think they do have uh, all fit together. So that side of things is not not great either. Um, the fact that we had to cover and discuss a team that was struggling so much during this uh bad year was additionally punishing uh, and we were talking about this uh 
off air uh, before before we jumped back on, but I feel like they need a direction, and I feel like that comes from a new head coach. I feel like Dave Casper can't just sign a bunch of players and present them to the new head coach and be like, here you go. I feel like they need to sign a new head coach. That new head coach has to have a philosophy and a plan going forward. And uh, if Dave Casper is still the uh, general manager, the person uh, calling the shots on who to sign, he needs to fit those new players into what that uh, new coach wants to do. And so just like it, it, it needs to be more cohesive going forward. And I don't know if it's been that cohesive uh since since, right. since In, then yeah dc united has now has i don't think ever been um an organization where the coach has total say over what players he wants going back to to kevin payne um that there's always been a, 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 a bifurcation of the the front office of the technical staff and i think that's fine um you have Dave Casper and Stuart Mayers who can do the evaluation and the contract stuff, but I want a coach who's able to, to not just say, you know, I need a, I, I want a player who is a, a tough kid who can play the, this position and is versatile. I, I would rather have a coach who says, this is the role I need filled. Give me a player with the attributes to contribute at a high level in this role. Um, and then everything else is gravy. And I think, I think Stuart and, and, and Dave, they, they have the setup, they have the analytics, they have the recruitment, they have the databases to be able to, and the, the access to the tape to, to find players and define them like that. Um, but you need to know what the coach needs. So I, I, I agree with you, Ben. I think that yeah. that's something that they can do. And I think it's something that, that they will. And I, I'm hopeful. Can I can I throw in something that they do need to probably do a better job of is not just identifying players but getting the deals done. Yes, um, yes, yes. Because crossing I the do, line, yeah. We spent so much time talking about how the team was short at certain positions, um, and the only one we know where they tried to make a deal and then it didn't happen was uh, Dubasi, um, which would have addressed a lot of depth. Even though I think I mentioned this on last week's show or maybe off air. Um, wasn't good uh, yeah watching minnesota (laughs) so far since he arrived he looked like maybe he wouldn't have been i mean maybe this is the old like it's get used to mls your adjustment period all that but so far not impressed um that's a different problem um right yeah um spending most of this season with 25 to 26 players became a problem almost every single week um the number of times where I, I, when I'm to pull the curtain back, when I write the preview before a game, I, to, to make sure I don't forget anything, I pull my roster spreadsheet up and I quite literally, did we lose Ben? We did. Um, but we're still recording. So we're, recording. we're just going to keep talking. And if this part of the show stays in, then great. Um, but yeah, I pull up my spreadsheet and I am like, I highlight each name as I either can rule them out or rule them in um, to be exact. And the number of times where I looked at it and I had 20 or 19 or 17 names highlighted and not like 24, uh, it was almost every single game where they had like 
maybe one player wasn't going to dress um, or maybe they were going to be short one. Um, this came up over and over again this year, and it wasn't just the number of injuries, which were very high, but also just you got to have more players. Um, I think this year's schedule was a grind, but next year's schedule is going to be a grind too because the league is going to start later in the year. Um, so you're going to have, they're probably going to try and play a full season in less of a stretch of time. Therefore, you're going to have short rest, which means higher rate of injuries, a higher need to rotate. Um, you cannot do the, let me condense all of our salary cap space over fewer players. You need, all of those spots need to be filled. Um, and that comes back to getting deals done. Um, so if you spot a good player, you've got to find a way to make it work. And it's tough because MLS doesn't give you a lot of wiggle room. Um, and, but that's the job, right? <laughs> right. And, and Or like if it's DC has this third designated player spot, it could come down to how good of a case can you make for that player to be signed to ownership? Um, because of ultimately with a designated player, if ownership says no, then the money is not there unless you personally want to fund it. Um, you're not going to be able to sign the guy. So, um, yeah, these things need to be improved because this year I think they assembled a lot of talent, but I think there were some, there were enough things missing and there were enough shortages of depth where this just kept coming up that DC felt short of players over and over. They had, they, they had a lot of good pieces on the roster, but they were missing a centerpiece and they were missing backups <laughs> um, at many positions. And like you said, we saw it. And I think that that brings us to one of the next major events in, in the season. And that's the, the end of the Ben Olsen era. Um, I, I think there's a strong argument to make that the, the roster situation contributed to the, a lot of the problems we saw that led to Olsen's departure. I, I think, it was time. I think it was the right decision. And Ben Olsen will tell you it was the right decision. But um, I think they contributed to that. But this was the end of the second longest coaching tenure in MLS history this year in MLS. And I, that's definitely something that I think we have to mention here. Um, and by far the longest coaching tenure in DC United's history. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, he, he won a trophy, got robbed by a cowardly ref from a, a chance at, at playing for another one before that. But, um, Andre, you know, no, yep. His name will, will never be forgotten on this podcast. That's for sure. Um, but you know, a, a lot of people had been calling for his head for, for years. I think in at least some cases, uh, very unfairly. Um, some people made up their minds on who he was based on 2010 and 2013, and they just never moved on, um, despite any evidence that, that Ben Olsen had grown or changed, which, which he had. Um, but it was time, and he's going to transition into the front office. Steve Goff reporting that he's going to have a hand in picking his successor. Uh, uh, so that's kind of interesting, but... Um, I'm curious if you guys have thoughts at this point about the end of that era. Uh, I mean, I I would just say that I think one of the reasons that Chad Ashton playing kind of the same 
fundamentals, just a more open version of the game. Um, one of the reasons the players responded to that so well was that they, I, th- I think they just finally ran out of the ability to tolerate having to play so defensively. So on a, such a regular yeah. basis, um, which is one, it's physically just taxing. It's a more demanding thing to do to yourself. Um, but two, mentally, it's it's uh, like you play the game to have fun. Um, this is what gets people on, on, you know, why do you play soccer and not do something else with your time? Um, it's because it's supposed to be fun. Um, and the players get, like, they get the tactics of the game and they understand why the coach is choosing to do X, Y, and Z. But it is kind of tough because you, with that understanding comes the knowledge that it's like okay we're probably not good enough to win this game playing more openly um and that is itself not a pleasant thought when you're you know you're a high level athlete and you're being told like well the other team has more more guys that are better so we're gonna have to be conservative and limit their chances more than it is about our chances um and all of those things add up and you know we we talked in years past about Olsen keeping the locker room and keeping guys engaged and everything. Um, but there's a, you know, over a certain amount of time, it just, you're going to run out of the ability to sell people on that idea um, and have them give you everything they've got again and again and again, when they're also not having a lot of fun. Um, and I think they, they kind of hit that wall a few weeks before he was let go. Um, and I think we all, could see it coming uh, i think yeah. we talked about it uh, maybe like a month before they actually made the move where it was like i don't see any i see no way for this to not end with him no longer being the coach um because when the pl- whole player pool other than maybe the academy guys who were new to this and not necessarily used to um or had, hadn't run out their tolerance for it um when the whole player pool is like, I can't do this anymore, man. Like I, I'm giving you everything I've got, but I've just got nothing in the tank. I just cannot get excited to do this, uh, you know, park the bus one more time. Um, then you kind of have to go at that point. There's no, there's no recourse. There's no getting around that. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, uh, it was necessary. Uh, it is sad that there were years where, they were close to something and didn't quite get the the right set of breaks. Um, but at the same time, the fact that this is a team that hasn't won a playoff game since 2015. Um, so some of it is the lucky breaks and some of it is also um, when the games got really complicated, they were one way or another beaten. I don't, I'm not convinced. I think the, there's a refrain out there that he was always out coached in every single one of those games. I'm not convinced that was the case um, in several of them, but the fact is that ultimately in a league where the playoffs are given such a high level of importance, um, you get remembered for winning or losing playoff games more than you get remembered for doing well in a regular season. You know, coming close to winning a shield but not quite winning it is not going to be remembered very long as compared to getting to MLS Cup. Um, you can be the, the fifth seed and go to MLS cup and that's going to ride. The fan base is going to back you for that for longer than finishing second in the East two years in a row. Um, even though the first, that, that second thing is much harder to do because it's many more games. Um, 
but that's that's the nature of MLS. That's the league, um, and that's the situation that um, any coach that takes over this team is going to find themselves in. Is that they're going to find a fan base that one wants to be entertained, wants to win, and they want playoff wins, um, and they don't want them a couple years from now. The co- whatever coach steps in, this is a fan base that's going to be like, hey, we want we want playoff wins in twenty twenty one. And I mean, I don't know if that's unreasonable. I the the they have they have the new stadium. We can like COVID. Yes, COVID is is a big thing of everything. But they have the new stadium. They have the new ownership uh, that has taken over. That has promised to spend more. Uh, it's time to challenge their ambitions and and see if that's really what they want. And so. Uh, this team should be in the top third of MLS and they're not right now. And so I, I don't know if it's unreasonable to not expect them, them to be in that level because uh, we've been puttering around uh, basing the team on, on uh, winning on such low salaries, which Ben Olsen was great at and, he was able to get them through a number of years of just of of just uh, uh, knocking water out of a stone. But now the team is at a new level, and I think the expectations for the team have to come up a little bit too. And that's not just for the players; that's not just for the coaching staff. That's also for the ownership. And I think they also need to be uh, uh, pushed. And I mean, they're the people with millions of dollars and they don't have to answer to anybody because it's they own the team but i think it's they do they have to I answer think, to the supporters and the fans. well yeah yeah like nobody's gonna go if 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 they don't put a product on the team on the field that that people like so i think now is the time for fans and supporters and everybody to to push a little bit and to right and we, uh, we talked about make this the team that we want that we want to see we talked about this where the even when the team did start spending on on Wayne Rooney uh on Edison Flores it was taking one big swing and saying this is this is what we're going to do this year um this year we got Wayne Rooney and he's going to come in and and that's going to be that's going to be the big addition um and it it worked for a little while and then there wasn't any foundation under it and it crumbled um this year they got Arejas and they got Julian Gressel and they didn't really put it all together. They didn't build that foundation. We've got the homegrown players coming in now. I want to see something more of a system, more of a, a plan that's not just, yes, be good in 2021. Yes, get to the playoffs, win games in 2021, but be better in 2022. Start threatening year in and year out for, for silverware. I want what Philadelphia has right now. Very badly. I would want even a higher level than that because I want what Toronto has had, where they have the homegrown players, they have the MLS what? journeymen, and they have the top level DPs. Um, as as much as it pains me to say, I want what Seattle has. Yeah, for sure. Seattle does a little bit less on the homegrown front um, right. than than any of these, really, any of the the East Coast contending teams over over the last several years. Dallas is the the one outside of the East coast that has made noise on, on the homegrown front. Um, 
discounting Alfonso Davies from Vancouver because he's literally a one-off for them. Um, but you know, you, you got to do everything. Like yeah. a lot of people in MLS kind of say, you know, pick, a, they, they want to pick a lane. They want to say, you need to be a team that develops talent and sells it on. Like, well, you also need some help at the top ends. Like if your, your Academy doesn't produce a, a killer center forward at this time, you, maybe you have one coming up in a few years, but if you need one now, go get one and make it a good one. Um, if you need a, an attacking midfielder inside or outside, go get one if you need it for the short term. Um, but but do it with a plan. Don't just take a swing. And that's that's one of the things I want from for from going forward because I think that the lack of a plan was a big reason we saw the roster just kind of not quite fit together in any coherent way um, yep. this year. And, and this should be a major factor in the coaching discussion. Absolutely. That, you yeah, know, of course. How, how are you going to make this group of players fit together? Because most of these guys are going to be back. Um, Ryan wrote about this on the site recently, the, the way the contracts, the, the timing of the contracts um, for most of the players in the roster indicates that there isn't a ton of room. There, there aren't a bunch of contracts coming off the books uh, and opening up the opportunity to make a bunch of moves. Um, and I would also argue that you do have good players uh, mm-hmm. um, in a lot of spots. It's just, one, we didn't see the best of several of them this year. Um, thinking about guys like Junior Moreno or Joseph Mora, who we know are better than what we saw this year, um, or someone like Russell Canals, who spent so much of his season not playing his best position. Um, so there are a lot of talented players, but how do you fit them all together? How do you assemble a team that has, you know, Paul Ariola and Julian Gressel as two of the most expensive players on the team? They both kind of want to play in the same area of the field. How do you put them together? Um, Edison Flores is a good creative player, but he doesn't really play like a true 10. Um, how do you bring the best out of him? Uh, how do you create goal scoring chances for Ola Kamara? Or do you keep Ola Kamara? Um, so Give me got- a yeah, what do you do with Yamil Assad? Um, if you are going to play, uh, you know, if if you've figured out a way to get Gressel and Flores and uh, Ariola on the field, what do you do with Yamil Assad? Is he an eight now? Um, and if he is an eight, what do you do with all the other central midfielders that, that are on the roster, right. which is a bunch of them? Um, so, yeah, it's it's not that the talent isn't there all the way. Like, yes, they do need some upgrades. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, but it is to me more of a, the puzzle pieces don't quite fit together. Yeah. It, it's uh, weirdly, problem. it's weird. It's weirdly calibrated. Yes. Uh, yes. It, it has feel, it's felt all year like a jigsaw puzzle where we're missing some stuff. And also some of the pieces were cut by like two different people. And so yeah. they don't quite. Some of them got wet and they're all squishy and yeah, or, a little or bit like, misshapen. You know, someone dog chewed on one. And it, you can see where it's supposed to fit, but it doesn't really fit anymore. And I mean, and yeah, and somebody's cat batted like three or four pieces into the trash right. can, which is the signings that they should have done. Right. So <laughs> thank you for are... explaining that metaphor, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there are a lot of, a lot of, this is a complicated issue. This is not an easy to untangle situation because in a way, if it, you just came in, you're like, this is a hopeless group of players. We need to get rid of all of them and start over. 
that's easier. There's a clarity to that. Um, but this isn't a hopeless group of players. Um, they have a lot of talented guys. They seem to like playing together as well. This isn't a locker room that is broken and divided. So you have to get rid of some guys just to have the proper morale and team spirit in place. That doesn't appear to be the problem either. Um, so yeah, I think there's plenty of room to make this work. It's just that whoever comes in as a coach, you've got to have a real clear picture of what you want to do with these players uh, because the top end of the roster is not necessarily stitched together in a way where you say, oh, this is how it's going to work. You know, when you you guys mentioned some of the teams that are good blueprints to follow um, and Seattle being one of them, uh, when you look at how Seattle's roster is built, it kind of explains itself very quickly. Um, you don't have to know a bunch about those guys. You just you just need to have seen them play a few times. You're like, oh, I get how this is going to fit together. I I understand that the, what the formation is going to be, who's got what responsibilities, and what the general strategy is going to be as far as how they play the game. Um, it it was in a roster assembled with a vision based on the coach and based on the GM and it all kind of blends together really well. And this is why they keep being successful. Um, DC's roster right now. I mean, I'm glad to see that the team has spent money on some guys. We keep bringing this up, but like the old DC doesn't spend thing has been untrue for quite a while. The money has been put, I mean, maybe not like LASC money or Toronto FC money, but, enough money has been spent to compete. Just ask the Philadelphia Union, um, who spent, if I'm not mistaken, less on their roster than DC has spent on theirs. Um, so the money isn't really the problem. If if the Union or the Red Bulls of a couple of years ago uh, are able to win a shield, then you can you can no longer say, well, like, well the money isn't there. Um, the, the roster hasn't been uh, given enough resources to be good. It's about talent evaluation and where do these where do these players fit together how are they supposed to work as a unit because you you can't this is no longer a league and it hasn't been for a long time where you just say look if we get you know six really awesome players and throw them out there it'll work itself out it doesn't happen it's not a, a facet of mls anymore it has to be a very clear system has to be in place um which we've talked about a couple times now but um it's the glaring thing i think that the next step for dc united requires knowing exactly how all of this stuff fits together and seeing it through uh rather than you know the last couple of years have been sort of like we'll add rooney and that'll solve the problem right exactly um and it did address some problems but didn't address everything um and it didn't even address everything that uh it seemed obvious that it would address like the how do we get fans to come back? Like, well, it got fans to come see Rooney, but I would get, I, I gather from last year, especially once the team started not being that good and he signed with Darby County, a lot of those people stopped showing up. Um, a lot of those people were there to see Wayne Rooney, not to see DC United. Um, and the way to get DC sports fans to show up in your building physically and get invested, you got to win some games. Um, the Washington Capitals didn't become one of the favorite teams in town because people like Ovechkin, they became that because they were a contender for like a decade. Um, I remember what it was like right before that. And it was like 4,000 people at a game. It was bad. Um, 
you have to win. Uh, this is and a, I like those days because I got yeah, you cheap get tickets a all the ticket. time. Sure. But uh, yeah, but it's yeah. definitely more fun when they're winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Yeah. The, the pressure, I mean, yes, every sports town has that. Like, more people show up when you're winning than when you're losing. That's just sports. Um, but I think it's an especially keen thing in D.C., which is a soccer city, uh, but isn't really an MLS city still. Um, but if if and when D.C. United has been winning in the past and if they are winning in the future, that changes fairly quickly. Uh, it doesn't take a long time. You just have to be reliably fun to watch and reliably providing wins um and, and do some marketing work up off the field to make sure people know about sure it. sure and you know they, i mean this year we don't know what their marketing would have looked like this year because there were no games that they could market people to come to um outside of very two very cold games in march um which feel like they happened in like a fever dream because they were a different and, a different game plan that sounded and a nice. billion years ago it didn't it didn't really work um and then it became completely irrelevant so yep um who knows who knows uh how they're going to tackle all of these problems but i i think the major thing is that the coaching hire i mean yes it's a coaching hire so of course it's important but like if they get it wrong I think we're stuck in where we've been in 2019 and 2020. I think we're stuck until the next coaching hire um, yeah. because the roster is such a tangled thing. It's not, it's not a clear, there's no clear path with it right now where you can say, let's clean house. Cleaning house would be difficult. It would require a ton of moves, transfers, this and that. Um, that stuff is hard. It takes time. And I mean, as that was the thing out, with, with Philly that you, yeah. you remember the Philadelphia union. I mean, every team in Philly has had trust the process as their mantra at some point, but Philly, it took five years, five whole years to clear out the dead weight from their, their roster, bring up the young kids, get them integrated and, and get the team to where it is now. And that was a long five years for them. I, I bet they would say it's worth it at this point, but going through it when you're in it, it it's not always fun or easy, especially when you're in the teardown stage, right. which is why mm-hmm. I would much prefer to just find a coach who has a, a strategy to make not necessarily all of these pieces, but most of them work because we saw in the last few games, both the, the, the virtues of, of this roster as it's presently constructed. Like you said, Jason, the players all get along. The locker room vibe seems pretty strong. You have some really strong pieces there. And Areola, Flores, Gressel, we know can be a, a high-level contributor. You have Bill Hamid. You have Donovan Pines. You have Nyman and Yao and Paredes. You have a lot of things to work with. And then but there are also a lot of things. And then you have a lot of right. holes that you need to fill. And so you can find a way to make that work, I think, in MLS in one year. Maybe not. Maybe you have to use I'd- the transfer window too I'm not saying they're going to compete for mls cup next year but like you said ben it's not unreasonable to say we want you to find someone and to make the additions this team needs to compete for the playoffs next year and be right. fun to watch in the process that's and that, that's what we want yeah and that's all, yes and like we said it's it's on the new coach and it's also on dave casper uh anyway i planned this segment as a a short look at the season that was and instead we just talked about the future a lot because 
course we did. We're, we're filibuster. We get sidetracked. That's how it works. Uh, that we're, we'll do that a lot more this off season. So stick around. We're not going anywhere. Uh, this off season, we'll be here just about every week. Like we always are. Um, we'll have, we'll have off season talk. We'll probably be talking about the playoffs over the coming weeks. We'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Uh, Anyway, find us at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. Follow us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Questions, comments, uh, criticisms, advertising inquiries, we will gladly accept them all. Download, subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show. That's the best way to spread the word. So please, please, please do that. Uh, For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up.